0: Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. This show is dedicated to Maureen Johnson,
1: author of 13 Little Blue Envelopes, and other stories, and one of the voices of Generation X. My people, XOXO. And here's your 47 and a half second summary.
0: One little girl sat reading in a tree, then went to France and married Christy. Two became three, and then became four. She pulled a disappearing act and showed her man the door. Five books later, Mrs. Christie was a writer. She met an archaeologist who spent his life beside her. Six romance
1: novels whose author is a mystery. Seven's just too hard to rhyme, so let's move on to history.
0: Eight actors in The Mousetrap, which smashed up every record. QE2 got wind of it, and soon Dave Christie's Deckard dated...
1: And then nine, ten, big fat hen, la, 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 and then there were none. The end. Let's talk about Agatha Christie.
0: But first, let's drop her into history. In 1890, the first U.S. college-level dairy school opened in Wisconsin. W.B. Purvis patented the fountain pen. Nellie Bly beat Phileas Fogg's time around the world. Ellis Island is designated and opens as an immigration station. Sitting Bull, Vincent van Gogh, and Joseph Merrick, the Elephant Man, died. And Dwight D. Eisenhower, Charles de Gaulle, Groucho Marx, Stan Laurel, and Rose Kennedy were born. And on September fifteenth, 1890, in Torquay, England, Agatha Mary Clarissa Miller was born to grow up to be Agatha Christie.
1: Agatha Mary Clarissa Miller was the third child, a bonus child, as so many third children are, of Clara Bomer and Frederick Alva Miller. Her sister and brother were 10 and 11 when she came into the world. Surprise! (laughs) But that's nice. Yes. Mama had been the only girl in a family of five, and when she was nine, her father was killed by a fall off of one of his horses, and the little girl was sent to live with her Aunt Margaret, who had just married a rich American. It was pretty common to farm out the children. It reminded it tragic- me of
0: Mansfield Park. Yeah, exactly. Clara was kind of bitter about the whole thing, but Mom's thinking, you're having going to have this better life. You know, you, your brothers will be able to fend for themselves. We have no money. Live, live a good life. So it was a huge house, just full of luxury and free of financial worries for sure, but it was
1: 200 miles from home, and Clara, little Clara, was pretty lonesome. But wait... Her new rich American uncle had a grown-up son who lived in New York and ran around with the likes of Jenny Jerome. Yes, the future mother of Winston Churchill. He was a young man of means in the social register. He was the king of hobnobbery. He was everywhere. He knew everyone. And this guy, this Frederick, he brought glamour back into the house. Every time he came back for a visit, I mean, dang. This was a breath of fresh air and hotness, etc. And he was very kind to Clara yeah always with a gift for quote, my
0: little cousin. they're not related. keeping this in mind. It yeah, it becomes important. Charlie. Yes, <laughs> they're not
1: blood relations. No, no, not
0: at all. And she kind of took a big shining to him because this was finally somebody who was paying her attention and and he was handsome and complimentary. and and really, it was no skin off his nose. Yeah. He
1: comes home. What's he gonna do? There's no bright lights. there's no uh-uh. big city. Might as well be agreeable to whoever he's around. She developed quite a schoolgirl crush on him. And to his credit, he
0: kept up the correspondence. And he kept her letters. How sweet would that be for your husband, oh, spoiler (laughs) alert, to have all your childhood letters? I mean, that's kind of (laughs) sweet. Well, his papa
1: was having heart problems,
0: so it's time to settle down.
1: At the ripe old age of 30, he came back to his father's house and proposed to his little cousin. Not so little anymore, as Susan mentioned, at 22. And that is Agatha's parents.
0: Life is weird. I love that she turned him down at first because she thought she was dumpy. She thought she wasn't good enough for him. He was out of her league, I guess is the way we'd put it these days. But he pursued her. And it was a love match. How often do we get to talk about love matches? Hardly any. They had a really great marriage, I think. So
1: Papa's father and Mama's uncle, if you're following me, same guy, died. And Mama was now a rich man's wife. They had two children in quick succession, girl and a boy, Madge and Monty. The M&Ms, perfect. And they settled into society in both
0: England and New York, which Mama said was quaint, by the way. Oh, how quaint it is. They were setting up temporary housing. He was back in America, and she was supposed to find a place to rent. So she looked at 35 houses, and then she bought one. We've done that twice, actually, Susan. What? Once when we moved to the East Coast.
1: Yes. I went out first. Oh, yes. the house. And mm-hmm. once when we came back. Um, I almost did get a house with a ballroom, by the way, before I came to my senses when we came back. Oh, my. I know. What would you use it for? Roller skating, I Oh, guess. my
0: kids. Oh, are you kidding? We had a living room in the house I was growing up with. We called it the living room. It was a big... It was a an old colonial house, and it was, you know, rambling, and it was this huge room, and Mom never knew what to do with it, so we put the Christmas tree in there, but the rest of the year, it had a ping-pong table. We rode our bikes in there in the winter. That's what you could have done. Your son would have been all over that, but their life was not... They were wealthy, but they didn't have a butler. They didn't have a footman. It wasn't quite Downton Abbey level. Well, what the
1: heck? Kind of, kind of trash are we talking here?
0: I know, but they still they entertained and they had servant. They had three servants. They entertained Henry James and Rudyard Kipling. They were part of their posse, as well as the ladies, the society ladies of Torquay, England, was their town, which was a resort town. So, ten years after Monty was born,
1: along came little Agatha. And in typical upper-middle-class fashion, little Agatha was turned over to nursey, you know, nanny. hmm Also, in typical
0: upper-middle-class fashion, both of her siblings, so much older than she, were packed off to boarding school. So, essentially, she was an only child. I mean, she had the only child upraised. So that third, after... The kids are older, Kit always has a different childhood than the first set. I I speak from experience. But Uh in this particular situation, I mean, the, the other kids were gone. So here's how little Agatha's first few years went. Mama had got this idea
1: in her head that reading was bad for children before, say, eight years old. So the order went out. Ixnay on reading. In fact... No school at all. How about ever? And loose, comfortable clothing. Let's let her be free and explore and be Waldorf or unschooling. I don't know, but Claire's ahead of her time. She had full permission to run and get dirty and imagine and play, but
0: mama played with her every single day at three o'clock <laughs> and just, told her serial stories.
1: Yeah. It was good.
0: Yeah. So she's hearing all these stories. Abgatha is a very imaginative little child. She's making up stories, but she can't read. And
1: Mama does sound cool. Not only did she tell the stories, but she's willing to look ridiculous and put on outfits and act mm-hmm. plays mm-hmm. with the little child. Which, you know what? I, I like love Mama. That. Yeah, I do too. She's cool. A lack of dignity I also possess, let's
0: just say. <laughs> As do I. I was just in the trampoline with boxing gloves on. Excellent. I jumped off a of bleacher yesterday and nailed now- Nailed the landing and did the gymnastics thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> Mom's lack
0: <laughs> of dignity. But I have none.
1: So it was only a matter of time, really, in a house lined with books in every hallway, spilling out into stacks uh, all over the place, in a fully stocked library. Uh, that Nursey surprised Agatha up in a tree and nearly got hit and knocked out with this 200-page book called The Angel of Love. <laughs> um, I'm afraid, ma'am, I've got
0: something to tell you. Dun-dun-dun. Agatha can read. It was like a sh- this terrible thing. Like, oh, no. She was five. Well, so now that
1: education has happened, I guess we better encourage her to read. Papa now cleared some of his schedule to tutor her, especially in math and penmanship. Agatha loved, loved math. There was so logical. There was like one answer. There it is. <laughs> you're done.
0: That's called foreshadowing. Mm. <laughs>
1: Papa had some financial reverses. Uh, it was time to retrench, not in the craft macaroni and cheese ramen noodle way of our youth, but by renting out the house and going all the way to France for a year, to which I put the back of my hand on my forehead. Poor babies. Evidently, it was so much less expensive in France that Papa actually
0: made money by simply vacating the house. And experiencing all that France had to offer for extended periods of time. They would stay places for months in a hotel. That's so Eloise at the (laughs) Plaza. So the stress of the financial problems.
1: He thought he might actually have to take a job, which he hadn't expected or been trained for, combined with the fact that he was a well-fed, under-exercised man of the Gilded
0: Age. Yes, he liked to go to the club every day. He was entrenched in his routine. I can picture him at the club sitting by a fire uh, with his feet up on the,
1: the fender with a newspaper over his face. <laughs> <laughs> I not. think that's how I pick. Picture Papa. Um, but he died when Agatha was 11 of a massive heart attack, just like his own father. Mama fell apart for quite a while. Uh, so Agatha was left to the care of servants for a time, and then further economies, like letting the experienced housemaids go and hiring the same amount of new young ones, for example. Again, not so much an economy that I'm familiar <laughs> with. <now>. No. <laughs> or closing up parts of the house to save on heating, which of course we do here at the Uninsulated House of wood. There are parts of this house you don't see from about November to March.
0: I'm sorry. It's just a fact. <laughs>
1: uh, anywhere without reach of the, of the big giant fireplace, you know. So Sister Madge married a rich and generous man, so the pressure was off a little. And I'm not sure that was a love match. I actually kinda think that was a financial arrangement. And it happened
0: so quickly after her father's death, mm-hmm. that it was like, dad died. Madge got married, and it was a very quiet ceremony because they were still in mourning. So, yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you on that.
1: Well, now, Agatha wrote that they were no longer a family, simply a middle-aged woman and a young girl who happened to live in the same house.
0: And the house, Ashfield, was the house that she'd grown up with. Of course, Clara wanted to sell it because the money was tight, but Agatha didn't really, that was her house, that was her home, that was her playground, that was all she knew. So she was able to convince Clara not to sell. Well, unlike her mother's childhood, Agatha had a lot of neighborhood friends. I
1: mean, they would put on shows and roller skate. That was a new thing. Uh Such a fad. And you know, if you fall down and you're wearing nine layers of petticoat, who cares? You bounce (laughs) right back up. Low risk. Yes to learn how to skate during this era. You know, she would swim and have club meetings up trees, drinking lemonade on the porch, and reading books. But it was when they went to the grand house of her sister, and Agatha, in the midst of gilded woodwork and a footman behind every chair, held eating contests with her brother-in-law and belching contests with everyone at the table, that Mama
0: was thinking, hmm, maybe off to finishing school for you miss burp face. Yes. <laughs> so for the first time in her life, Agatha was sent off to school in Paris. I mean, a formal school. Um, what did she study there? She studied music, piano. She took singing lessons. Um, she was actually a very gifted pianist, but she was also extremely shy in front of large groups of people. So a future as a concert pianist was pretty much closed for her, even though she could do the job. She couldn't perform.
1: She was very unimpressed by the infant Eiffel Tower. As many were, we forget that people hated the Eiffel Tower. They thought it was weird and ugly. Our art museum here, in fact, has these huge, giant shuttlecocks in front of it, Mm -hmm. which there was massive outcry about. And now they're this beloved symbol of the city, same Mm -hmm. with Eiffel Tower. Mm -hmm. But At the time, she was more fascinated by the cars, frankly, than that ugly, wackadoo thing at the end of the road. And the city, she always, you know, walked through, always with a maid in attendance, of course, properly brought up young girl. And she just loved people watching. It was so amazing. I mean, she'd been in the country with like people her whole (laughs) life. Whoa. We're not in Kansas anymore. (laughs) We're not in Torquay. She was, in fact, invited to hang out with a friend in Florence, Italy, as one is, uh, where she had her eyes opened by Michelangelo and the
0: Uffizi Gallery and dudes that whistled and pinched you.
1: Huh. What an education. And we
0: think of Agatha Christie now, we just think of her old. Because that's the images that you see yeah. of her. But at the time, she was a very pretty young woman. She had dark red hair. Mm-hmm. Not like, um, carroty, but it was more auburn mm-hmm. would you say? Very pretty. I mean, she was dressed very well. She, it was important to her because it was important to her mother and it was important to a lady of her class at yes. the time. So she came back home,
1: uh, well traveled cultured, attractive, but very introverted young lady. Now, Mama regretted heavily that there was no money to present her at court. You know, I can
0: totally relate. Yeah, me too. And instead took her to Egypt, you guys, for three months. It's cheaper to have your coming out season in Cairo, where you're surrounded by other British people. I mean, it wasn't like she was dropped in the middle of the desert. Oh, no. It was a very social thing. And this seems like a contradiction almost. She loved to dance. And Mama gave her the orders. You are to practice your social
1: skills among the soldiers and the sailors, but by no means fall in love with one. <laughs> they are N-O-K-D. Not, Not our
0: kind, dear. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. So when she got back, she was thrown into a social whirlwind madness. She'd always arrive to grand houses with her music. Which was, you know, hostesses like that. The yeah. young ladies exhibit is what they called it, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. She was greatly admired for her voice, and Agatha had dreams of becoming a concert singer. And you guess what Mama thought of that. Uh, write some little things, Agatha. Madge had written some little things and gotten mm-hmm. in Vanity Fair. Mm-hmm. Won't that be more fun? Let's Yes. Let's yeah. not be vulgar on the stage. Singing. Well, she had some blows. Honestly, it wasn't just Mama. They actually got a professional singer in to evaluate her singing. And the person was not very complimentary, and said you'd never make up you'd never make a soloist. Maybe fine for chorus, uh, some songs at church, whatnot. But mm-hmm. you're
0: never gonna make a concert singer. Oh, broke her heart. Oh. So she's not a pianist by her own choosing. She's not a concert singer, ask. but she does have an imagination, and she does like to write. Well, she she sent out, you know, her little things that she had written, and a
1: whole bunch of rejection letters came in, which she really did not care one crap about. She did not, genuinely didn't care. She had four proposals, one of which went, get this, oh, so romantic, hey, bear me in mind,
0: if nobody else turns up, there I am, you know. So it's like that guy that you're besties with in college, and you go, hey, in 20 years, if you're still not married, let's get married disappointing, unromantic <laughs> morons.
1: <laughs> so she wrote more and more to keep herself busy and kind of on the whim sent one of her stories to a famous writer, a friend of a friend situation, and he could have just rolled his eyes and thrown it in the bin. You know, mm-hmm. he could have easily, but maybe he was bored, had some time, this friend had influence, we don't know. But instead he took the time to go through it, and he was gentle and constructive with his criticisms and very, very lavish and specific with his praise. You have a great feeling for dialogue, for example. Mm-hmm. And she was touched that he took all... You know, it was
0: generally like a pause. Wow. Basically, it was, I can't sell this particular book. It was a um, snow upon the desert, something she wrote in Cairo. It's not going to sell. However, I can tell that you are a very gifted writer. So keep writing. Try something else. But you know, the real career of a properly brought up young lady is to be a wife. So...
1: A friend of the family had invited them to a gala ball held by Lord and Lady Clifford in honor of his regiment. Now, unfortunately, the young man who had invited her was too sick to go, and he felt guilty. And so he said to his friend, Look, Chrissy, there's this smashing girl I'm meant to escort tonight. Could you watch over her for me? Mm -hmm. See, upon such things does history turn. Someone vomits in a wastebasket, and the next thing you know, you're married. So it was, in a ballroom, that 2nd Lieutenant Archibald Christie and Agatha Miller fell in crazy mad love. Archibald Christie had been born in India. His dad was the headmaster of this elite boarding school, but he showed up on a motorbike in 1912. Ha-cha-cha! He was tall, handsome, a pilot. Could the machismo get thicker? The 245th pilot in Britain, you know. Yes. Okay, does that
0: sound like your husband? Um. Yes. <laughs> Actually. And how long, how fast did that attraction happen? Was we, like boom.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: I mean, I've, you got the better, way better guy than Archie. I. Totally did get. Well,
1: yes. In my case, the facade matches the interior, <laughs> shall we say? But um. But alas, you know what? We've got dancing, dinner, eye contact, thrills, the montage of like. A couple weeks of da 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 That's da You know, it's part. exciting. <laughs> but alas he was being shipped out. His squadron was being sent away. He asked her to marry him. She immediately said yes, this was finally the proposal she'd been waiting for. I think it's significant that uh, Agatha had written that quote, She was determined to marry for love, which was uncommon enough to make that a radical statement. That goes back to her childhood. I mean, her parents obviously were deeply in love. Well, it was yeah, two years smart. of mostly separate lives. Literally maybe hours together here and there. And then, as we knew it would from here, from this end, yeah, right. World War I started, and the world went insane. Uh, Archie went to France, as one does during World War One, and Agatha went into volunteer nursing, which was no joke in a time of war. She saw horrific things. Her aprons were always soaked with blood. She saw men die. Proper breeding be damned. I need to help these soldiers. Archie had seen battle. And on his first leave at Christmas, he was very grim and, you know, changed somehow. You didn't know about PTSD. You know, war nerves was a thing, Mm -hmm. maybe. But um, she was trying to figure out what to say. She's like, let's get married. And he said, absolutely not. You catch one bullet and snap, you've left behind a, a widow. You just forget it. It's not going to happen. And so they started arguing and getting on each other's nerves. Unfortunately, they were on a train to spend Christmas Eve at his parents' house. So that whole trip was kind of frazzly and silency and awkward and confusing. And I'm sh- Awesome. Sure was a great trip. So they got there. And Agatha just went to bed. What the hell? I'm so glad I'm going to spend the day here, you know? Happy holidays. Good night. Hours later, here's Archie at her door. I'm sorry. I'm horrible. Let's get married tomorrow. Tomorrow, Christmas Eve. Yeah. Uh, okay, so they got the license from this sympathetic local guy, you know, wartime, you know, yeah. stamp stamp. Yeah. Uh, they got the vicar out of having tea at someone's house. They interrupted the organist, practicing for Christmas services to do the music, and then right outside the door, Agatha ran into this friend that usually they meet at the market, like those friends, like, mm-hmm. oh, hello, strawberries today, blah, 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 you know, bad friend. Barely knew your first name, Mm -hmm. friend. Hey, have a witness. Come on in. She hadn't packed a wedding dress. I mean, of course, she got married in an ordinary coat and a purple velvet hat. As I'm sure a lot of war brides did at the time. So she was 24. Mrs. Christie, as she now was, called home. Ah, luckily her sister Madge answered the phone. Archie's mother had taken to her bed and shocked at all this and there was a little bit of like mm, kind of dread <laughs> Agatha was afraid now I gotta make this phone call how's this gonna mama. go so I so love it that Madge answers the phone here's the thing starts cracking the heck up yay I love older sisters her, uh-huh. starts cracking up hysterically can barely bear the comedy of it all and she promised to get everyone under control before Agatha and her new husband got home she did I don't know what technique she used. But it was a Merry Christmas. Yay. So it is time to take a little break. And when we get back, we'll see how this quick marriage turned out and witness the birth of an author. (laughs) The History Chicks are now on Pinterest. We have a board up for each episode, so you can follow your favorite subjects in depth or maybe discover some new ones. There's even a board for the Chicago World's Fair, since it seems to be cropping up in so many episodes these days. To find us, simply go to Pinterest.com and search Pinners for the History Chicks. Easy peasy. And
0: we are back. Archie is off fighting World War One and Agatha goes back to Turkey to work at the hospital. Now during their first year of marriage, they were only together for six days.
1: I know my marriage feels like that. I think it might be six days a month.
0: <laughs> but she've also been married for a very long time. Yes. So in reality, Agatha had to construct a separate life for herself. Very independent and during the during the war. So she's at the hospital and she's asked to join The team at the dispensary, the drug team. (laughs) So quiet. So quiet. Just she, the doctor's wife, and one
1: other lady so organized, methodical, and educational. And formulaic. They nerded out during many lunch hours discussing the medicines, which medicines are poisonous in the wrong amount, or which medicines mixed improperly could be very dangerous. There are other children in my group, and we
0: talk about physics. (laughs) properties of physics. (laughs) Sad, but social. She went so far as that she was able to take the entrance exam to enter the Society of Apothecary. Incidentally, she learned a lot about
1: poison, which would come in handy later. Improbably. How often does that come in handy (laughs) when you're not legally being a Borgia or something? (laughs) And she started writing again, reworking some old stories to incorporate her new education.
0: Now, Sister Madge had a dare for her. She challenged her to write a novel, a detective novel, kind of like Sherlock Holmes, that Madge couldn't guess the ending. And Madge was like, yeah, good luck with that. You know, here's the thing with, Agatha always thought of herself as the least smart person in their family. She didn't think of herself as very bright. Her mother and her sister were extraordinarily bright. Very much like... The person on the other side of this microphone who calls herself the dumbest person in Mensa. Which I think I can prove numerically. (laughs) The fact that you can prove it numerically (laughs) (laughs) means that you belong
1: there, that you got in the club. Maybe I need to join the physics club. So during downtime at work... When you or I might be checking our Pinterest, Agatha was writing away. A little tiny detective, you know, as far away from Sherlock Holmes as possible. Sherlock Holmes was massive at the time, Mm -hmm. you know. And he was this messy eccentric who kept piles of papers around. He kept his tobacco in the toe of some random slipper. And any mail he had to answer, he'd nailed to the mantelpiece with a knife. Kind of a loose cannon,
0: Sherlock Holmes was. But she's seeing all these Belgian refugees, Soldiers at the hospital, Belgian refugees throughout her town. And she's thinking, Belgium. That's pretty far from London. And she made him a very fastidious man who gets agitated
1: when he has to get his fancy shoes dirty, who loves symmetry and being gallant to ladies. But like Holmes, he was very brainy and intuitive. She knocked it all the way out during this two-week vacation. The mysterious affair at Styles. it was called. Madge would never guess. Nope. Well, she sent it out to publishers just because, you know, why not? She did not really give one crap when rejection letters started coming. She genuinely didn't because Archie was coming home. She gave it her notice at work and started setting up house, and she was very surprised that he told her kind of abruptly he was leaving the military. He'd been sent to a desk job, and he was pretty resentful, stalking around saying he was leaving the military because they were, you know, Donkeys, and he was out of there, and he went to work for a banker. And there's a lot she didn't understand about his temperament, I think. But he was making about fifty thousand a year. She was still getting about ten thousand as a legacy. And you know, family life goes on. They yeah. had a little daughter
0: named Rosalind. Earlier in her life, she had a doll named Rosalind. Mm-hmm. It was when she liked and she she played with it, and then she named her daughter that.
1: Uh, so they had a four-bedroom apartment with a nurse and a maid. Respectable middle-class households could not exist without t- at least two servants if there were children in the house.
0: So, And, and that's how she grew up. I mean, yeah. it was not like she aspired to it. It was just the way it was. Well, here's the thing. It
1: seemed like a normal household, but Archie resented the weight she had gained to a pathological point, he was bored at home, though it must be said he was a very affectionate father, and he took to staying at work longer and longer and longer. There's no real appropriate place to put this quote, but there was a very long conversation in which he begged her, like, promise me you'll always stay beautiful. Promise me you'll stay beautiful. And he felt like she was letting him down.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: She didn't hold up her end of the bargain. Oh, sorry. So there you go. That's where Archie's head is right now. But Agatha got some news. Hey. A publishing company wanted to publish her book. Shut up. Now, the contract they gave her was predatory. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely.
1: You don't need to know the details necessarily, but they basically tricked her out of almost everything and owned her next five books. Um, but did she read it? No, no, she did not, just like you and me in the credit card disclosures. That's <laughs> right. She just signed on the dotted line. It's very exciting. So she was 30, and The Mysterious Affair at Styles was well received. Ingenious,
0: everybody said. Agatha earned about 25 pounds total for the whole thing. She did get a little extra money when it was serialized in the newspaper, and that was a lot of her books. They did that, so she had the publication money for the the book, and then the serialization money. She got some, but well, I think it was only like in U.S. dollars now. Like contemporary money it was like thirty eight hundred dollars. Yeah, I have to, yeah thirty five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but
1: you know what? A cool
0: accomplishment, and yeah. she
1: spent her money happily redecorating the house. Yay! It's a bonus.
0: It wasn't like. Right, and, he, and Archie was saying, well, maybe you'll get more with the other subsequent books that you'll be writing. Well, I, Archie <laughs> encouraged her to write
1: another book, and I'm sorry to say his motives seemed financial rather than appreciating her creativity. I'm not even
0: sure he read it. No, I would be surprised.
1: Agatha went to work and she knocked out the secret adversary in a year refreshingly original, was what the critics said about that one. And here's what Archie said. It sold better than the last one. Well done. My husband would be pooping rainbows. <laughs> but not in the British, I suppose, you know. Uh, instead, he graciously included her in his next adventure. So he got hooked up kind of almost like a World's Fair where... British products from all over the globe were to be featured, and his job was to go around and convince people to set up exhibits or to send things for exhibits. And so what did that mean? South Africa, Australia, where she learned to surf. The first British woman to surf standing up. That's an accomplishment. I have That She learned mostly by nosediving into the bottom of the (laughs) ocean over and over. Don't worry. No one saw Oh wait, there's a photo on the page. Okay. <laughs> okay, so New Zealand, quick stop in Hawaii, mm, more surfing, for a month, where British Agatha peeled like a snake, and Archie took to swimming in his jammies, for maximum SPF. <laughs> Agatha was asked for another book and she kind of knocked it out between episodes of hurling over the side of the boat. So they went up to Canada where unfortunately the money ran out. Archie ended up in a hospital and they were left behind by the rest of the
0: entourage.
1: Wah, wah, wah. So by the time they got back from what was otherwise this pretty epic world tour Archie was a mess. You know, no job now because that was contract work. Their three-year-old daughter, who'd been left behind for a year, didn't remember them. And suddenly I guess that was all you know, like Books four and five. She bought herself a car. She was getting business letters at the house with her name on them. Archie got this not prestigious step down of a job. Bruised ego. I don't know what. He's supposed to be supporting a family. And here Agatha was. It was very embarrassing for him. The man behind the increasingly famous writer. It made him mad.
0: Once she finished that fifth book, she realized that she was really getting kind of screwed over. With, on the money end of it. So she got herself an agent by the name of Edmund Cork, who was with her for the rest of her life, as well as a new publisher, William Collins, which now we know as Harper Collins, Big time. Also, she kept them through the rest of her life. So that was a very good business deal for both of them.
1: Well, this first contract was a thousand percent... Mm-hmm. literally a thousand percent more money than she had before yep good
0: job mr cork i love that at this point in her life she didn't even even though she's got five six novels behind her she wasn't thinking of herself as a professional writer she was thinking that well maybe that's something i can be it must have been like something huge in her mind even though she she had it so agatha was bringing in the bacon and they moved to a golfing community yes Probably exactly
1: the same as you're thinking
0: now of a golfing community. And and that was for him. He Mm -hmm. loved to golf. She didn't really care for it. And they named
1: the house Styles after her first book. Archie took to being at work all the time, or saying he was at work. More on that later. Or being Mr. Golfy McGolf. Anyway, not really in the picture. I read that he was, quote, courteous to his wife in public, which should tell you, All you need to know, really. The signs mounted. She wanted to take him on a vacation to Corsica, and he didn't go. Her mother died, and he took off on a business trip to Spain instead of being with her. She came home, and he did meet her to tell her he wanted a divorce.
0: And he packed a bag and left. He was cold. She has to go to Ashfield and clean out her mother's things. I mean, that's sad and depressing and hard, and he's just being, hey, I met somebody. Handle it yourself. He didn't like sad people.
1: Right. Okay. So he'd been having a thing. Most sources say not actually a physical affair, but definitely a thing with a younger woman named Nancy Neal. Someone, Agatha, had chaperoned to dances. Family friends. Slap in the face. Nice. Now, here's what happened next, according to the public. A young man walking across a country lane, saw a car kind of half pushed into the brambles and scrubbed by the side of the road.
0: Well, this is weird enough to have a look, for sure. In the car was some of her clothing and her identification. This was Agatha Christie's car, but she was nowhere to be found. Now yeah, the car had... Been abandoned, evidently while the car still had
1: its lights on, as evidenced by the rundown battery. Naturally, this led them to the Christie's house, where Agatha's assistant produced a cheerful enough note. She ain't be home tonight, I'll let you know tomorrow where I am. And now Agatha Christie, that mystery writer, was missing, and
0: crowds began to gather, and the buzz began. It was a nationwide, highly publicized search for her that lasted for 11 days. Clue after clue was found though, right? Well, of course they ran Archie to ground with Nancy Neal,
1: hmm, to tell him his wife had disappeared, and he seemed irritated, frankly. Which, you know, that doesn't look good. It does not look good. A letter Agatha had left him, he put into the fire before anyone could read it. Muy el suspicioso. Fake sightings were everywhere. What a story. Foul play, an unhinged mind, a PR stunt. Or someone whose car had broken down and she just set off the wrong direction and gotten lost. So, they dredged a nearby lake. Search parties combed the area. It didn't look good for Archie at all once the affair came out, I will tell you. That was the key. He holed up at Styles with his daughter. And Archie himself said she'd obviously suffered a nervous breakdown and had lost her memory. Now, how common was amnesia? That kind of strikes me as, like, oh, really? Probably that happened? Fainting disease. Mm. Yeah, so biplanes in the sky, bloodhounds on the ground,
0: reporters on the lawn. Yeah, just imagine, you know, the paparazzi at the time was right there at Stiles, asking questions whenever anybody appeared at the door, screaming them through the gate.
1: Yeah, a few days in, these police are murmuring darkly of murder. We no longer expect to find Mrs. Christie alive. Several mystery writers, get this, expressed their opinion that Agatha had staged the whole thing herself sir arthur conan doyle author of sherlock holmes used his powers of psychicness if you saw mr selfridge mr conan doyle appeared at selfridges and tried to contact ghosts that became his thing in later life so he was on the case and he told everyone not to worry she was alive you'll find her by wednesday pip pip But anyway, in fact, it was Tuesday, so he was right. He was, Yeah,
0: by Wednesday.
1: Eleven days after the disappearance, the police followed up on a credible sighting after dozens of semi-credible ones. They latched hold of the wrong woman a couple times, so now they're kind of jumpy. So they called Archie, maybe come see first
0: before we <laughs> jump this chick, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, she was recognized at a hotel, the Harrogate Hydropathic Hotel, which is a spa people went to for the waters. She was recognized there, and Archie was rushed there to claim his meal ticket, Uh, I mean his wife, Uh (laughs) and she didn't appear to recognize him, although he did identify her. This woman, this confident, attractive, smiling person
1: in this fabulous evening gown, came up to him and shook his hand. Hello, I'm Teresa Neal.
0: Neal. Hmm.
1: So Archie told the press his wife had lost her memory. The crowds of people jostling to get near them as they went home was Madonna worthy. Agatha smiled for the press. What a photo op this was. Yes.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: And the young Nancy Neal's parents were alarmed at this publicity and sent their daughter on a long trip. Score one, Agatha. (laughs) Okay, now here's the story from Agatha's perspective. So she set out angry,
0: probably toward the house where her husband and that woman were. Now, we have to say that she never really publicly talked about it. And in her autobiography, she doesn't really discuss it. At all. At all. And Rosalind, her daughter in later years, will say that mom just never talked about it. There's been a lot of guessing as to what happened. But, all right, go on. Okay, so either on the fly... Or prearranged, she set up this
1: relatively tiny mystery. She sent her brother-in-law a note that she was going to go to a spa in Yorkshire. And then just laid a few clues on the way, you know, having parcels sent to a Teresa Neal in Yorkshire, and then just went there. That's it. The goal was a weekend of Archie stressing out and wondering what the heck. Then his brother would get the note, reunited, and it feels so good. (laughs) Okay, that was the goal. But you know what? Brother-in-law got the note, but not the news. So his reaction was basically like, who cares where you're... my sister-in-law going on vacation? And he threw the note away. So, day by day, Agatha's following the case in the paper. She was hidden in plain sight, uh, completely invisible. Her fellow guests were shaking their head. Oh, the mystery writer. How sad is this? I mean, her picture's
0: on the newspa- cover of the newspaper. And she's standing right there. In her red hair in her peach-colored dress with a face on, same, same, on her, face, her head, <laughs> face, holding Rosalind in the picture on the paper. Yeah. So she started to shake her head. Like, how did crimes
1: get solved in this country days later? Of course, it had gotten completely out of hand. Way more crazy than she meant it to be. But I have to say, still still kind of crazy. To set up a little thing where your husband was sad for two days so you could get back. I don't know. If that's
0: her motivation, that's kind of stalkery. There are people who are listening right now that are going to say, oh, we know exactly what happened. She went to a tea party at a, at a castle, and the doctor, <laughs> Dr. Who showed up. This is an episode <laughs> of Dr. Who, The Wasp and the Unicorn. It was actually one of my favorite episodes. It's with Donna, and she gets to put on a flapper dress, and she's very excited companion, Donna. You have no idea so what I'm talking about. So, very
1: good. Well, okay, so, <laughs> if it's amnesia, or stalking, or Doctor Who, any, aliens. any of those options, the end game remains the same. In April, after this whole scenario, Agatha filed for divorce, and then two weeks after the divorce was final, Archie married that woman, Nancy Neal, and they lived happily ever after for the rest of their lives at the end. They did. Hmm. So
0: Agatha is left with a daughter and her secretary.
1: And now Agatha focused on work. And her next book, frankly, flocked with the critics, but people were all jazzed about the disappearance and flocked to buy it. So there's a silver lining. Yeah,
0: she wrote two novels in fairly quick succession. She needed money, and that's that was her motivation. I mean, since the beginning, she wrote novels to make money. She wanted to buy a house, she wrote a novel. She wanted to decorate a house, she wrote a novel. You know, that was her. She wrote novels to make money. And now, even though she did
1: not feel like writing, she was contractually obligated to produce books. She kind of felt, she said, like a story factory. She wasn't an author. She was a machine. And the joy was gone. And she wrote several more novels. You know, saw two silent movies based on her work. She took on an alias to start writing romance novels
0: psychological romance novels. Ironically. I know. Her first one was, she wrote under the name of Mary Westmacott. And it was about a composer who was forced to work for money instead of for his art. But I have to say, she was able to do what J.K. Rawlings was not. Because she was able to keep up pen name she began in 1932 she was able to keep it up until 1949 before someone outed her i mean of course that's the internet and you know (laughs) modern information but that's pretty cool
1: (sighs) but you know what she needed something what did she need and she got it she sat next to a man at a dinner party, and he was just raving about Basra. Oh, darling, it's the Venice of the Middle East. You just must go. In Baghdad, on the Orient Express, I cannot say enough about how fabulous our trip was. And the next morning, she made the arrangements, and in four days, she was on her way. Conveniently enough, Rosalind was at boarding school. She was not an obstacle. Yeah. I know,
0: we have to keep bringing that up. Poor leave. Roslyn. <laughs> she could write novels because her husband was doing something else she had. Servants to take care of everything. Rosalyn was gone. Yes. But, yes.
1: So, uh, the whole thing just rocked her world. You know, new sights, smells, experiences, even camping. Not glamping, but honest <laughs> to goodness, sausages over a freaking campfire camping in the desert with sweat on your head and sand in your eyeballs. And she ended up at the archaeological dig at Ur, which is now in southern Iraq. And this isn't like a block party, you know, hey, turn up, get an empty seat, here's a drink. But wait, have you seen the movie Romancing the Stone? Yes. Where they're in the middle of freaking nowhere in South America, and the local boss is like, you are my favorite author? Yes, come in. (laughs) I will save you. Here are some supplies. okay. Mrs. Catherine Woolley, wife of the boss archaeologist, is an Agatha Christie fan. We couldn't have written this in an Agatha Christie book. No. It seems too convenient, but it is so. All access pass, acquired. That's right. She's in. She got the VIP treatment, tours, history of everything, friendship, and her mojo back. Back home, her books were now back to rave reviews. And she could not wait to get back there. She called it her serenity. It's not people's serenity now. No. <laughs> but um, on her second trip back, she was assigned
0: a tour guide. It was a 25-year-old archaeologist in training by the name of Max Malewin. And it changed the course of her life, or at least the shape of
1: her heart. It's time to take a little break. And when we come back, we'll find out who is Max Mallowen and how does that writing career end up. And we are back. Max Mallowen now... Oxford graduate 25 years old to Agatha's 40 not handsome exactly but interesting looking set off on quite an adventure all over the Middle East with the Woolies and they got closer and closer as they went Agatha loved to be spontaneous and she didn't mind being messy or uncomfortable and she was just so interested in everything and uh, not exactly what he expected of a celebrity, frankly. He thought he was going to deal with the diva type situation. Mm-hmm. In fact, later, his little dinner party story, you always have that one when you're married. Yeah. Like, how'd you fall in love? His little story was, six days in, she was hot, she saw a lake, she stripped down to her pink all-togethers. Not her all-togethers, her undies. Uh-huh. And <laughs> jumped in. When he said he fell in love when she was spontaneous and took all her clothes off. I think that happens to right? a lot of people. But it was, it was not like dating
0: advice or anything. <laughs>
1: no, no, no. But it was a much slower process for Agatha, you know, once burned and all. We know who she used to be married to. But Max just, like, he proved himself over and over. Agatha sprained her ankle. He took charge. Her daughter was sick in England. He went back with her. He, uh, where old Archie, you know, would have just rolled his eyes like weak, sick people. Eh, I'm going to work. Yeah. You know, paid her attention.
0: He was her friend. First proposal, I had to say, was rejected. Well, I mean, from Agnes's, now, like you just said, you know, once bitten, but she's 14 years older than him. She's been married. She has a child. I mean, even if she was in love with him, she had to think, is this the life he wants? I can't have any more kids. You know, if he wants a family, Mm. Well, I will say for him, I mean, his devotion did work
1: on her. He, unlike Archie, specially went out and got all her books. And it's not like you can go to Barnes & Noble. He's in the Middle East. He wrote away four and got all her books Mm. and read them. Special. So he talked to her about them, which is pretty cute. Yes. And now those books included Jane Marple. Right. My favorite of her detectives, actually. She was
0: more Agatha's favorite, too. Yeah. And she liked Jane a lot better than Poirot. She wanted to get rid of Poirot early on, but... Too famous. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: So his persistence paid off, or steadfastness, or whatever it is, because one day in September, Agatha and Max were married. But her friends, like Madge in particular, kind of boycotted the wedding. She thought he was a gold digger, kind of. I mean, I guess I can see why. Near zero financial input. Well, he did dig
0: in the dirt.
1: (laughs) Well, maybe he's an artifact digger. That's right. A (laughs) real But I don't think he, I mean, the stars and rainbows weren't in evidence like last time. We didn't meet in a ballroom under the moonlit sky. But let's put it this way. His moral support And just his presence. It was a love match. Yes. So there.
0: Yep. That's what we need to say. It was a
1: love match. But on the marriage license, full of comedy, incidentally, 40-year-old Agatha became magically 37. (laughs) And Max is now 31. Wow. Instead of 27. Well, Mm. we've talked about people who did that before. It's pretty common. So life settled into the most glamorous routine, wintertime or at an archaeological dig in Syria or Iraq. I mean, we're talking Mosul, Kirkuk, places familiar now for darker reasons. But they camped and glamped and lived the Indiana Jones lifestyle where she
0: wrote, book, after book including the super famous murder on the orient express during the 1930s she was extremely prolific she hit a pace of two to three novels a year during their first 10 years of marriage that's that's a heavy duty workload but she's going on these archaeological digs she's not agatha christie novelist she's archaeological assistant archaeological (laughs) whatever she's dusting and digging and getting her hands dirty and then writing novels well, back to London in the
1: spring to one of her houses. Yes, you heard that right. To work on the rough drafts. Summer's by the sea. Having a bit of a beach vacay, darling. You know, a little croquet with a picnic on the lawn. F is for fall. Final draft and fittings. As you get books and self ready to go back to the ancient lands of mystery. This year let's have a mighty fine year like this but over and (laughs) over and over and over nine years of this idyllic lifestyle and we're up to book 34 I know that's amazing including Agatha's favorite book and then there were none a mystery that she based on a nursery rhyme in which all the characters on an island end up in separate and intertwined perils she thought it was one of her greatest achievements to make it all believable Mm -hmm. it's based on I really can't say the original title because it had a bad word in it it's a racial slur that we're not going to say. Yeah. Uh, but it was modified in America. It's that ten little Indians went out to dine. One choked his little self, and then there were nine. And she basically followed the poem. Mm-hmm. Like, you knew what was coming. So the challenge was, how do you make it believable that this next one's going to happen like this? Mysterioso. Well, it's 1939 in Europe, so we know what that means. In Agatha's case, World War II also includes quite a bit of financial trouble, because America, where most of her money came from, wanted back tax money for all her previous works. Ouch. They froze her accounts in America.
0: Yeah, and financial worries like this are going to plague her for quite a few years. And you think she's going to be this world-famous author, but she's not making the money that it's not hitting her wallet. So, the bombs fell with
1: Agatha glamorously typing in a fur coat while glass broke all around her. She didn't go to any bomb shelters. I don't know why. But the more she wrote, the less money was coming in. She literally said she was a sausage grinder at this point. And it's almost like three-quarters of her money, anything she earned, three-quarters of it, immediately got sucked out. Mm. So, she's like, golly, what am I, you know, what am I doing this for? I think it's safe to say the idle slash inspirational days are over for now. Max is off in Cairo, and she's pretty lonesome. Now, there were some high points.
0: Her daughter got married and had a baby, which was yay, because they were always very close. And Agatha adored her grandson, Matthew. Sadly, the father only saw him once before he was killed in action. But
1: she felt so sad,
0: kind of so depressed. I mean, her son-in-law, like Susan said,
1: was killed in action, and she kind of just fell apart. All I want to do is sleep, she said. All I want to do is sleep. But all she did do was keep writing. Plays, books, stories. Plays, books, stories. Continued unabated. It took Baghdad to bring her back to life. Max came home and they took off. By air. This time, the Orient Express didn't go that far anymore. Oh, cutbacks. It was the beginning of expense without pleasure in reference to air travel. Girl, you just hold on 50 years. (laughs) Talk about expense without pleasure. Um, It's good to see her back to lightening up. Honestly, she has Max back. She has her solitude back. She's notoriously press shy. Uh, People have been badgering her to do... Quote, important war work, so she worked in a dispensary again. And so they called her a woman of mystery. They used to make her so I am not a woman of mystery. I hate that. I'm a drug dealer. <laughs> no way. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's over. And, you know, she had a very happy marriage, which we are not often able to tell you. And so a lot of exciting and challenging work to do, really, the most prolific yet. Uh, 1952, when she's 62, in particular... was a very important year. This is the year of the play The Mousetrap. Can I please just say it opened in 1952, and as of this
0: recording, it's still going. 62 years later, it's still running. You can buy tickets online for the next time you're in London. You can get a less uh, awesome seat for approximately 17
1: pounds 50. If you're willing to pony up for 82 pounds, you can get premier seats as in the ones... Queen Elizabeth occupied when she went. Nice. Seems like a bargain for 82 pounds. So she had written this story, which used to be called Three Blind Mice, as a radio play in 1947 for Queen Mary's 80th birthday. So this whole royal patronage, Queen Elizabeth in the theater, Mm -hmm. Queen Mary at the other end of the radio, that went way back. Maybe it was the royal commission. Agatha said, frankly, this is 90% luck. She had no yeah. like romantic emotions about it at
0: all. Um, she always had a sense of perspective. I yeah. Think. And I think she really, I, I watched a video and we'll link you up to it. Um, that she really liked writing plays because it, it was a lot of dialogue, which from the very beginning, she's very, she good was at. very good at. And she didn't have to set the scene. She didn't have to tell you what people were smelling and what the air was like because it's a play. Right. That's not as important. So she, she really enjoyed And it was probably a kind of a break from all these, detective novels that she had been you know you can't do the same thing all the time so
1: well even if you never saw it which you probably haven't unless you've seen it live because nobody's supposed to make a movie out of it Mm -hmm. until six months after the play stops so hmm there's no official movie there's been a couple of uh foreign attempts (laughs) and there's probably some naughty version of it oh dear but it'll (laughs) sound familiar to you Eight strangers trapped in a guesthouse, seemingly at random, but they know each other. One of them is killed, and one is the killer. But who? Spoiler alert! I'm not going to tell you because that is considered very bad manners. The audience
0: is told not to share.
1: So it wasn't her first play. In fact, way back she wrote one on Akhenaten, the husband of Nefertiti.
0: That really, I don't think it was still never has been produced. produced. No, it never is. But you can find the um, synopsis online. <laughs> You know, it's a very dramatic story. I can't imagine why it wasn't ever produced, but. Well, if your high school's looking around
1: for. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> uh, so it wouldn't be the last or the best, I must say, but it,
0: it does. It has some kind of powerful magic. She was a very a shrewd businesswoman, but she was also very generous. The profits from the mousetrap were all given to her grandson, Matthew.
1: He's nine at the time. Now, my nine-year-old, for his birthday, I think got Legos and yeah. um, some downloads from iTunes. But this kid got multiple millions of dollars. He was always the lucky one in the family, said <laughs> Agatha. Right. Of course, it's his show that hits, you know. Right. <laughs> well, whatever.
0: whatever. She, she did. She gave the rights to other um, novels and things to other family members too over the course of time she had enough money to live on oh yeah (laughs) even giving so much of it to the revenue services so although there was a time she was very close to bankruptcy because there was this huge snaggle between the british and the american internal revenue services and they were sucking up all of her funds and she was they were scrambling because she was close to bankruptcy which seems crazy Mm -hmm. Um, she did say this, she says, I only write one book a year now, which is sufficient to give me a good income. If I wrote more, I'd enlarge the finances of the Inland Revenue Service, who would spend it on most idiotic things. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I do too. So here is typical
1: Agatha. Uh, the play has become a record breaker, somewhere in the realm of 2,000 plus performances. It is now the best show that's ever been produced anywhere. So, of course, Agatha's invited, and she wanted to go. Uh, you know, three strings of pearls. we got the long gloves, the cat-eye glasses, completely adorable, by the way. Every inch the respectable matron shows up, and the doorman wouldn't let her in without a ticket. So she wandered the halls for half an hour. Before someone in the know is like, why didn't you just tell him who you were? And her response was, I was scared. I felt like a fraud. After all this time, time, and after all that work and praise, Agatha felt like she was pretending. Huh.
0: When do you feel real? You know, if that's not real, the rest of us are just ghosts. Now, by the 10th anniversary of the mousetrap, she had
1: pulled it together. She got up in front of everybody in a beautiful green dress, and she hated giving speeches so much. It was like her worst fear of all time. You know, many people are like that. It might be the number one fear. Here's her speech, which her daughter thought really sucked. This is not the sort of thing that would happen to me. Sometimes I really can't believe it's me. Don't let anybody say that nothing exciting ever happens to you when you're old. It does. It's just as nice to be 72 as it is to be young, and tonight it couldn't be more exciting. I love that.
0: I know, Rosalind is like,
1: really? That's all you're, that's what you're going to say? That's
0: it? You play with words for how many books, and this is what you come up with? But you know what? Good for her, because really she could have gone up and said nothing. Yeah.
1: More excitement. Max was knighted for his archaeological work, so she was now Lady Malouin. La-ti-da-ti. uh huh And in 81, three years later, this seems weird that Max got it before she did, but whatever. And in 81, Agatha was made a Dame of the British Empire in her own right. So that's knighted. She was also right. knighted. And invited to the palace where, I am pleased to say... She went right in and did not wander the halls. Right. And people recognized her immediately. The queen recognized her. Yahoo! <laughs> now, Madame Tussauds rang up. I mean, queen, shmeen. Yeah. Madame Tussauds rings up. You're You've made it. Yes. You know, I read somewhere that you've made it when you're a crossword clue or answer, and that's a really good measure of fame, too. Oh, it is. Now, I'm sure she's been many crossword clues and I'm answers. I'm sure. But I'm just saying, Madame Sons is a good oh, pinnacle. Yeah. So her work became more sporadic, and, if you believe the critics, kind of really fell into a decline. Agatha had a heart attack. Max had two strokes. There were two honestly wonderful encores. Uh, Murder on the Orient Express was made into a movie. She's very suspicious of movies because MGM had messed up every single
0: one. She was she was never involved in the adaptations of them, and she was never pleased. Well, because they, yeah. I never said that these aren't my characters.
1: What are you doing? And I think many authors feel that way.
0: Well, sure. Another think- writer gets a hold of your stuff. They think they can improve it. Sure. Uh, so, anyway, this movie, though,
1: starring Sean Connery, Albert Finney, Lauren Bacall, Ingrid Bergman, Firepower, was a supercharged throwback to Agatha Christie's glamorous 30s settings. I mean, really the only Agatha Christie movie I like, sorry to say, but the final book. She didn't like them either. No, she. <laughs> so, why should we? <laughs> so, there you go, but no, she was, yes, finally, yes. And then the final book, One Out of the Vault, so not a recent writing, Curtain, in which the famous Hercule Poirot breathed his last. The New York Times actually printed an obituary for him.
0: Yeah, she wrote the end stories, the end novels for both Marples and Poirot earlier. And she said, all right, when they're ready, I want to kill them off, but I I can't yet. So this is how they're going to go. So, and uh, Marples was published after her. Uh, posthumously.
1: Well, the, the reviews of Curtin were very positive. Uh, in fact, here's one review. How well she nearly always writes that dear decadent old death trafficker. <laughs> ah, decadent old death oh, trafficker. And she wrote it during her peak. Well, so, so yes. Yeah. So she wrote it back in her heyday, Yeah. it got released, and it was like, yes, we <laughs> are back. Right. Now, soon... Unfortunately, the New York Times would have to print another obituary. Uh, Agatha caught a little cold, which soon overtook her. And while Max was pushing her in her wheelchair after dinner one night, she reached up and took his hand and said, I'm joining my maker, and she
0: died. What a dramatic ending. She was 85. Mm -hmm. She died in 1976. Hmm. Um, Two London theaters dimmed their lights on the night of her death. Um, one that was playing the mousetrap, and one that was playing murder at the vicarage.
1: Now, her autobiography, uh, the second one, actually, was published after her death, in which she leaves out the whole I disappeared thing and gets a lot of
0: dates wrong, but is a very entertaining read. Oh, I, I'm going to rant about it. And, and Rant or rave? Oh, oh <laughs> I'm going to rave about it when oh, we talk about okay. media. But she had worked on it from the late 60s through the 70s, So she worked on it for a very long time.
1: And she said she ended it at 75. She's like, that's enough. That's enough life, really. (laughs) So she left out the last 10 years. That's just missing. Now, um, lots of movies and TV shows were made after her death, which my dad certainly watched when I was little. Um, There's both a Miss Marple and a Poirot series currently on Netflix streaming for Freezies. And in 2004... Multi millionaire grandson Matthew, the luckiest nine year old in the world, <laughs> donated Greenway House, that's Agatha's country estate, and all of its contents to the National Trust, and it opened to the public
0: five years ago. It's, go- I mean, I haven't been there. I just saw pictures. I'm sure somebody has that's listening, but it is gorgeous. It's what you think of as a, you know, a British country estate, not as massive as Undaunted Abbey, but, um, oh. It's a very popular tourist destination. Mm -hmm. But obviously her legacy is her stories. We we were both discussing this earlier about exact numbers of the books that she wrote. And you find different numbers depending on how people categorize them, but we'll go with these. There were 66 crime novels, 13 plays, 154 short stories that were in 16 collections, six Mary Westmacott novels, and two autobiographies as well as miscellaneous volumes of poetry and, and miscellaneous thing. I mean she is the
1: best selling English language novelist in the entire world and that is no
0: mystery. Ah oh.
1: so let's move on to media. Shall we? Which we are going to have to pare down, I'm telling you. Just a little bit. So, on to books. Um, I am gonna, we're going to limit ourselves to three. Now, of course, all the Agatha Christie novels. Do we need to list them? We do not. So, anyway, those will do, certainly. But, how about this? The Duchess of Death by Richard Heck. The Unauthorized Biography. So, that one was really good. I loved that one the best, actually. And then there's a very interesting... Bedside, Bathtub, and Armchair Companion to Agatha Christie. that goes kind of book by book, giving you background, and intersperses little side stories um, about life in the 30s, life in the 40s. It's it's really neat. And then The Life and Crimes of Agatha Christie by Charles Osborne is also very good, and it intersperses her life with what book she wrote at the time. So how her book plot lines etc were influenced by what was going on in reality that that was was a
0: good that was a really good one I really enjoyed that
1: yeah
0: my three would be first off would be um, Agatha Christie's autobiography this is okay she gets some dates wrong and uh, you have to read it and think certainly this is embellished a little bit because she starts off with very detailed accounts of her childhood but as a peek into Edwardian life with a Victorian mother I think that for that reason alone, this is a book you should read because it gives you just such a clear vision of what life was like back then for anybody of this particular class. Uh, The second one I liked was Agatha Christie's Secret Notebooks by John Curran. Actually, her notebooks with notes in them about novels that that she wrote. And if you are a super Agatha Christie fan, if you're not, it's just going to get blurry and you're going to fall asleep. And picture book... Um, Agatha Christie at Home has gorgeous photographs of her world, including Greenway, their house, their gorgeous estate. But this is a beautiful one. It's Agatha Christie at Home by Hilary McCaskill.
1: Now, as to video on Netflix streaming, I am so sorry, people of Britain, that you are not going to be able to to participate participate (laughs) in Netflix streaming. I still can't believe it. But um, there are uh, 16 episodes of Agatha Christie's Marple. Kind of an all-star cast in there. You'll recognize quite a few names from that series. And also 40-some episodes of Poirot, also on Netflix. And I think it's listed as Agatha Christie's Poirot.
0: Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Uh, in
1: its entirety, so you're not going to be able to find it by just searching for his name. And then also on Netflix streaming is Witness for the Prosecution. Now that's Agatha Christie's favorite movie of hers. There's not a whole lot that even passed muster. So, even more than the Orient Express movie. Witness for the Prosecution starring Marlena Dietrich and Tyrone Power. Uh Ha. And then, there's Agatha. A movie made in 1976 starring Vanessa Redgrave as Agatha Christie. Which I thought was, you know, that's pretty good casting. But then you've got Timothy Dalton and Archie Christie. And a weird accent from somewhere, Dustin Hoffman, that I'm not... Man. Even the preview made me trepidatious. I got it off of Voodoo and paid two ninety nine, and here's what I'm gonna say about that. Don't expend your hard earned pounds on that.
0: <laughs> get it from the library.
1: Yes. <sighs> if it's on and you're comfortable and you don't want to get up, <laughs>
0: leave it on. It did on. Um, get a nomination for an Oscar for costume design. Well there you go. So Wait. if you're into costume design Put it on
1: mute watch the costumes <laughs> no it's just not as a matter of fact agatha christie's daughter tried to block the release of this movie she just thought it was defamatory to her mother her mother never wanted to talk about these 11 days why are you having a feature movie about it when none of you knows what really happened blah 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 unsuccessful because it was released but rosalind got her own back because it is not that awesome
0: Do you have any more videos? Well, also on Netflix um, is Doctor Who episode "The Wasp and the Unicorn," the Unicorn and the Wasp. I'm sorry if I said it backwards the other time. um, With the Tenth Doctor and Donna, and it explains what happened via aliens. Highly credible.
1: Doctor Who is more of a good source than Dustin Hoffman. There's actual
0: historical fact that's in that Doctor Who episode. So there you go. I think there's a lot of facts in a lot of episodes. I mean, they can travel in time and space anywhere. So when they travel in time, it's good for us. Okay. Now,
1: uh, sometimes I search for geocaches. Sometimes I do. Now, there's two that I cannot go look for right now because this uh, one series is in southern England. It's called N or M in reference to the Spy Codebreaker novel, Uh, and it's a series in southern England. So look that up, geocaching.org. Or if you are in New Zealand, please do this. Please do it. There's another series called Agatha Christie, A Doctor is Required. The description for the geocache says, There are 80 different poisons referenced in Agatha Christie's novels, and this will test your knowledge of them all, or something to that effect. And you have to know your Agatha Christie to play this series, or else have amazing Google food. But it looks really cool, and I wish I could play it.
0: (laughs) So, there you go. So we should go to New Zealand. Um, As far as websites go, I... AgathaChristine.com. It's done by her family. Her grandson, Matthew, is still alive. He called her Meemaw.
1: That's cute, My right? husband calls his grandma Mima.
0: He does? And Peepaw. Peepaw?
1: Peepaw and Meemaw. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Chris Graham.
0: Um, I... The... the it says Agatha Christie.com and then the tagline is writer, traveler, playwright, wife, mother, surfer. The best part about the site, it has an active message board. We don't find those very often anymore. We used to find them all the time. So if you want to get in touch with other Agatha Christie fans, that's where you need to go. I loved it. The Torquay Museum, which is the English Riviera with the water at 50 degrees, um, has an Agatha Christie collection, including Poirot's Study, which was donated from a British television show.
1: Um Bring your hot chocolate if you plan on swimming. <laughs> <laughs> the board game Clue, which we've all played. You know, so-and-so, Colonel Mustard in the study with the candlestick, blah, blah, blah. is not actually based on Agatha Christie's stories. It actually used to be a game called Cluedo, but it has the whole feel of Agatha Christie's glamorous 1930s, so I can see why people think that, but I had forgotten about that game, really, until we started reading about Agatha Christie, and I think, if I could find the classic version, that I'm going to go, I might go buy that today. I think your son would love to play it. I think he would like it. I think he's old enough now.
0: Yeah, because he's, when he was younger, he'd take out the sword and the candlestick and lose them around the house. I speak from experience. Yeah. We lost our parts.
1: <gasps> we lost our parts over at Susan's house. <laughs> So, in closing, let me leave you with a quote from Charles Osborne's The Life and Crimes of Agatha Christie. A reporter for the Toronto Star once asked her what she hoped to be remembered for. Agatha replied, well, I would like it to be said that I was a good writer of detective and thriller stories.
0: And, to honor her wishes, we the history chicks say, Agatha Christie was a good writer of detective and thriller stories. Thanks for listening. Bye. For show notes, links to the
1: things we talked about today, or to donate, please visit us at thehistorychicks.com. Follow us on Twitter at thehistorychicks, with an X, or like us on Facebook, without an X. Listen to us on Stitcher, the super fabulous radio app of tomorrow. If you'd like to send real life, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on iTunes. Our music comes courtesy of Music Alley. Visit them at music.medio.com.
2: for me That's okay You know that girl's like me